Nicodemus was part of the ruling class of Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Those were the 70 guys that ruled Israel when Jesus walked the earth. Now, the, <coughs> the Romans actually had <coughs> ultimate, excuse me, I've got that cold everybody's had. Well, I got two weeks. <coughs> Here it comes again. <coughs> excuse me. So the Romans are in uh, ultimate control, but they're giving the Jews a lot of uh, self-rule. And so Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin, so he's got political power. He is also a teacher of the law, and Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. And so this guy's got spiritual influence, uh, religious knowledge, and he is a Pharisee which means he comes from uh, the strictest branch of Judaism. This guy takes his faith seriously. I mean, he is, works really hard to obey the Mosaic law in order to please the Lord. And ultimately, what's, he's trying to get to heaven, right? The Pharisees, unlike the Sadducees and, and other Jews at the, uh, at the time, believed in a true resurrection from the dead, believed in an eternal kingdom of God, and Nicodemus wanted in. He wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to be part of that eternal kingdom of God. And although the text doesn't tell us, I suspect that the reason Nicodemus comes to Jesus is he, he wants to know, have I done everything that is necessary to get into heaven? And he tells Jesus... Oh, Based on your miraculous deeds, with miraculous, uh, the miracles you're performing, but based on your miraculous deeds, we know that you come from God and that God is with you. Now, Nicodemus undoubtedly has told, taught other people throughout his whole life. I'm sure he's taught people, here's what you must do in order to gain entrance into the messianic kingdom. If you want to rise from the dead and be with God forever, here's what you must do. And prior to meeting Jesus, I suspect that what he told people was, be a good Jew. Obey the law. Be serious about it. And if you will be a devout Jew who truly obeys the, the law of God, God will see that and honor it, and you'll get to be a part of the eternal kingdom of God. But he goes to Jesus, and he's like, in his heart, I think he's saying, have I missed anything? Am I going to be okay? You are from God. God's with you. Do you have anything to, to contribute? And Jesus gives him a requirement to entering the kingdom that absolutely floors Nicodemus. He doesn't know what to do with it. Because Jesus says... Truly, truly, I say unto you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. What? That has not been on my checklist. Born again? How in the world can I be born again? This is, this is impossible for me, and it perplexes him. And yet, Jesus assures him, I'm telling you the truth. You cannot and nor can anyone else get to heaven unless they have been born again. So we are in a series titled, The God Who Is There. 
We want to know the real God. We want a relationship with God. We, we don't want to know the God of our imagination or the God that others have told us about. We want to know the real God. And praise the Lord, he has revealed himself to us. And he has, by his mighty power, uh, and his, uh, he has preserved for us his self-revelation in the Bible. And he's made sure that we have an, uh, an accurate record of who he is so that we can know him. So during this series, we've been marching through the Bible and uh, unpacking these paradigms that God gives us about who he is. And this is week seven, and, and what we're going to see here is that the God who is there is the God who grants new birth. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. So we're in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel tells uh, the life and times of Jesus from a slightly different perspective. And so here's John chapter 3, and we read about this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Starting in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, by the way, he makes this he uses this introductory phrase three times talking to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say unto you. So what I'm saying to you is important. What I'm saying to you is true. And I'm the authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How could you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's referring to himself. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Number one, no one gets to heaven unless they're born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's shorthand from you can't, for you can't get to heaven unless you're born again. Now, what does the fact that we have to be born again tell us about our true spiritual condition? 
super important. Jesus says, Jesus isn't saying you can't get to heaven unless you live a more moral life. Nicodemus, you're doing okay, but you got to do even better if you really want to get into heaven. It's not a moral adjustment that you need. You don't need to be just a little bit better and then God will accept you and then you'll have a real relationship with God that actually matters and changes you. You don't even need better theology. That's not it. Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus, man, you just you need to know a few more things. It'll all come together and then you will be granted access to the eternal kingdom. No, you must be born again. It's not a moral adjustment. It's not better theology. It is an encounter with the living God where he reaches into your life and does something miraculous. You're born again. You have new life. You get a redo, a new start, a total change. And it's not something you can do to yourself. So in this, Nicodemus is right. How am I allowed to, can I climb back into my mom's womb? I mean, that's what he's asking. How do I do this? Of course, he's asking, what can I do? Because to him, gaining access to the kingdom is all about what he can do. And Jesus is saying, this must be done to you by God. You can't rebirth yourself. Only God can do it. In 1976, President Jimmy Carter referred to himself as a born-again Christian. And all of a sudden, born-again Christian became sort of uh, part of pop culture. And, but here's the, here's the problem. There are no other types of Christians. Right? It's not like, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. Or act rather... She's a born-again Christian. They're a little bit odd. They take this Christian thing quite seriously. They're out there evangelizing. I am a different kind of Christian. There is only one kind of Christian. It's a person who has been born again by the Spirit of God working in their lives. So, praise God, Jimmy Carter is a born-again Christian. But if you're not a born-again Christian, you're not a Christian. That is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus, he wants, he wants uh, an answer to the how question. How is this possible? What are the mechanics? I want to know exactly what goes on when somebody gets born again. Because knowing the mechanics gives me some control. But Jesus doesn't answer uh, the how with the kind of precision that Nicodemus wants. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Most likely, Jesus is referring to Ezekiel chapter 36, where the prophet Ezekiel... Uh, has been given instructions by God to speak to Israel. And in his speech, he tells Israel, there's coming a time, uh, God is speaking, there's coming a time when I will 
uh, put my spirit within you and change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And so let me read from Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Now, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? You don't know these things? You should know Ezekiel 36. Now, most likely, Nicodemus viewed Ezekiel 36 uh, as having been fully fulfilled in the return of Israel from the first exile. But there's a lot more to it. Uh, It hadn't been, you know, the Spirit of God hadn't been put inside the people uh, of Nicodemus' day. That was for the, the New Covenant era. So, here's what Jesus is saying. You might not understand the how, but you can actually, you can absolutely know if someone has been born again. And that's his point with the wind, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. By the way, in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit are the same, ruach. So it's a play on words here. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you... You might not understand how a person gets born again, but you can absolutely know if they've been born again. It's like the wind. Nicodemus, you don't understand uh, what's happening with the wind, but you know when it's blowing because the leaves get all churned up, right? And And the trees bend down. And it's the same thing in a person's life. You know they've been born again because the trees are bent. Right? And, the, and the leaves are all churned up. There's a real, noticeable, discernible difference in their life. And so you don't have question whether or not someone has, in fact, been born again. So the Apostle John uh, also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And in his first letter, uh, he talks quite a bit about the change that we uh, that will certainly be in someone's life if they have in fact been born again let me read you some of these verses first john chapter 2 verse 29 if you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him he's righteous and those in whom he has placed his life they're going to also practice righteousness 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, he doesn't say you won't ever sin. He says you won't make a practice of sinning. In other words, in your sober moments, not when you're under the, the, the pressure of the temptation of the moment, but in your sober moments, you say, God, there is I want you, and there is nothing I am willing to, not willing to give up. I'm willing to give up anything and everything in order to gain you. That's your heart. 
1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us not love one another. Nope, strike that. Beloved, let us love one another. Yep. It's important to read the Bible correctly. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Listen, you have got to grapple with the question, have I been born again? And what Jesus says is, there will be evidence in your life if you have been born again. You cannot remain the same if God transforms you by the power of his spirit and you become one of his. You will be a different person. And, and unfortunately, there are many, many people in our churches who believe that they're Christians. They claim to be Christians and they haven't been born again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who would say, Lord, Lord? A person who says, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is Lord. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, it's not just mouthed. It has gone down and transformed even behavior. On that day meaning the, the great day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So they have, they're like, we were, we, we had spiritual manifestations. We prophesied in your name, did miracles uh, in your name, cast out demons, but that's external. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You have, you have not been born again because it hasn't taken root and changed you. Not just what you say, not just the external, but it has, if you're born again, it will reach down and transform you on the inside. So I've I, I penciled some questions that I think can help us. These are from me. The question, have I been born again? So these are not from the Bible. These are from me. Do I love God more than I love the things of the world? Is there any sin that I'm unwilling to give up in order to gain God? Do I get convicted in my spirit when I sin and am I quick to repent? Am I burdened to see other people get saved? Do I feel compelled to make amends with those I sin against? Am I willing to forgive those who hurt me? Do I feel like a stranger in this world? Do I find myself uttering, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do the teachings of the Bible seem right 
and true to me. Would my friends and family agree that my faith in Jesus makes a real difference in my life? Is my core identity, I am a Christian? Am I attracted to righteousness? Does sin repel me? Have I ever been persecuted because of my faith in Christ? And if an angel were to follow me into my private world, would they come back reporting, yeah, there's evidence that they are trying to please God? Have you been born again? No one can see or enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless they have been born again. If there's doubt in your heart and mind as to whether or not you've been born again, you wrestle that question to the ground. I remember reading uh, stories from the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in America, and how people would become very troubled about the condition of their soul. And the advice they got was, you wrestle with the Lord until you have assurance in your heart that you have, in fact, been born again. Now, the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says, I write these things to you, my brother, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's not trying. Uh, God doesn't want us to be insecure as Christians. But if you have no evidence, if there is no fruit in your life that you can point to, that is a testimony that you, in fact, have been uh, transformed by the power of the living God, well, then you shouldn't have assurance. You need to wrestle that down. Well, we do have a role. We do have a role, and Jesus tells Nicodemus our role in being born again. And it is to believe in the crucified, risen, and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, or starting verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I'm the one who can tell you about heavenly realities because no one's gone up there and come back, but I have come down. I've been to heaven. I can tell you about heaven. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus had not yet hung upon the cross. He would not yet been buried. He hadn't yet risen from the dead, ascended up into heaven. Uh, but he's trying to tell Nicodemus what he must really do to, to be saved, and that is to put his faith in Jesus. And so he talks to him about uh, an Old Testament story that Nicodemus would have been very familiar of. It comes from Numbers chapter 21. And here's the story. Israel, uh, they've come out of slavery in Egypt, but they're not yet at, in the promised land. They're in that wilderness wandering period. And they grumble. They're tired of how long it's taking them to get to the promised land. Uh, they're having to eat this manna from heaven day after day after day. And they're tired of it. And so they grumble against Moses and against God. And they're like, why did you bring us out here? This is terrible. This food is 
Yuck. And we're tired. And so, and God, he doesn't really like it when we grumble. And so the Lord, in response, sends poisonous snakes, fiery snakes, uh, into the camp. And the snakes bite many people. And we've sinned against the Lord. We'd better repent and uh, hopefully get some, some mercy here. So they go to Moses. We have sinned against you and against the Lord with our grumbling. Please uh, ask God to forgive us and, and uh, get the snakes out of the camp. And so Moses goes to the Lord. And the Lord says, all right, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Um, erect a, an image of a snake, make a, make a snake, and stick it on a stick, and you put it in the center of the camp. And anybody who gets bitten by a snake can look at that uh, bronze snake hanging on the tree, and they will be healed. And they were. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus hung upon the cross. He hung on a tree. He was lifted up. And it took faith. If you're an Israelite and you were, and you were bit by a snake, uh, you had to believe that God's provision for healing would work. And you had to Crawl or have your friends take you to where you could see that snake. And it takes faith to believe that repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus Christ will heal us spiritually. But here's what we are told by this same apostle a couple chapters earlier. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him... That's Jesus. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. This isn't something you do. Nor of the will of man, but of God. And some people get hung up around the question of what comes first. Does God regenerate you or do you believe? Which came first, regeneration or faith? Uh, I think it's like fire and heat. They're both present at the same time. But what we're commanded to do is believe. And God says, I will grant you the right to become my child if you do that. So, so are you looking to Jesus for healing so it, the assumption is you recognize I've been bitten by the snake and I'm dying. And, I ha and my only chance for life is to look to Jesus Christ. You're not going to be born again unless you start with, the, start with, I have sinned against God and the penalty of sin is death and it rests upon me. But he who has, that's our memory verse for this, is not condemned, but he who has not believed is condemned already. That's our memory verse for this month. So the, the, the background is, I've sinned. The God's uh, righteous uh, judgment rests upon me. And my hope, my only hope, is that Jesus Christ, His death will pay the penalty for my sin, and so that by His stripes I can be healed. And you know what? God says, if you believe in Him, 
If you come to Christ that way, I grant you the right to be my child. You will be born again. I will do that in your life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, off sometimes referred to as the Prince of Peace Preachers, and he, uh, he was from England in the late 1800s, uh, and God used him to win tens upon tens of thousands of people to the Lord. He came to Christ when he was 15. He said, I was on my way to church, and there was such a terrible blizzard that I couldn't make it to my own church, and so I, I saw another church closer, and I went there. It was a little uh, primitive Methodist church. And the preacher wasn't even there. He was snowed in, and there were about 12, 15 people maximum. And because the preacher didn't show up, just this guy from the church, a layman, got up. And he read one verse, Isaiah chapter 42, 45 verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And now I read from Spurgeon's own words. There was, I thought, he's 15, so he's telling his story. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text. He began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that doesn't take much deal of an effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man not, need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. Said in broad Essex, look unto me. And he said in broad Essex, many a ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging upon the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, look to me. Look to me. And when he got about that length, managed to spin out maybe 10 minutes, he was done. And he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew I was a stranger. And then he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made about my personal appearance from the pulpit. <laughs> However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death. If you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung. He was born again. Just like that. He didn't do anything. The Son of Man had been lifted up. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon recognized he's the answer to my need. 